Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, April 17th, 2023. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So did you miss this? I mean, you weren't on the show last week. You must have missed it. <laughs> I know. And I must I must admit, I think we, we need to alter the format of this show, maybe two or three of our typical formatted wiretap shows. And then, you know, the the odd one focusing on a, a particular issue. Because I really enjoyed listening to, to Will's thoughts and, yeah. and observations in terms of applying as a military candidate. And I think we can do a, a lot more of those sort of deeper dive focuses. Um, for example, there's a potential guest that we've been talking to that's sort of, you know, highlighting the costs of applying to the MBA. So that might be another interesting feature. But yeah, no, I missed it. Very good. Yeah, no, it'd be good to, um, That's yeah, it's an interesting idea to like very, like more routinely bring someone on the show to talk with who's a current applicant or, you know, someone who's recently been admitted to just offer their advice. And as you say, do a deeper dive. If you're listening and you feel like you have something to offer in that domain, please email us, just write to info at clearadmit.com and, and Alex and I will get back to you. Um, Cause I like that idea, especially in the kind of spring and summer where, you know, people are kind of gearing up for the next season and these kinds of advice pieces could be interesting, right? So, um, excellent. So what's going on though, otherwise, like, you know, we're still kind of wrapping up this season. And so there's some more deadlines and things, right? Yeah. There's a few more deadlines this upcoming week. Um, Keenan Flagler, Cambridge judge, they have application deadlines, um, a couple of deferred enrollment deadlines this upcoming week. Um, so they're kicking off too. We, we've got Sloan and Haas mm-hmm. um, for this upcoming week in that regard. So, so yeah, the, the round two decisions are all out, um, except obviously the poor folks that are on wait lists and stuff. Um, but we're definitely um, kicking off the, 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 the next round. Um, and that cycle is much shorter. So, um, for instance, last week, um, Wharton released um, interview invites for its round three candidates, or at least they were scheduled to. Yes. We're, we're obviously <laughs> recording this episode before that happens. So the, these later rounds, are, there are fewer candidates, so they're much tighter sort of turnarounds in terms of their time frames. Yeah, that's what's always amazing to me is that they, you know, sometimes a lot of deadline and then literally like, you know, 10 days or two weeks later, the interview invitations come out, which is so different from the early rounds, but they just don't have the volume so they can get through it faster. Right. Uh, over, so over, so I guess, yeah, people should stay tuned. I mean, I know we have a bunch of um, deferred enrollment folks that tune in to this show. And so all those deadlines are coming fast and furious now. Otherwise it's round three or it's waitlist strategy. If you are, as you say, unfortunate enough to be on a waitlist, um, you got to keep, keep um, pushing ahead there. Over on the website, Alex, we did a piece uh, about the GMAT versus the GRE, and it just it breaks down the two exams. This would be useful reading for someone who's kind of just embarking on the admissions process and trying to figure out which tests to take, what the differences are, uh, et cetera. So you can check that out. I know the current GMAT will be on offer until the end of this year, at least, and probably into next year, because the new GMAT format is not going to be introduced till the end of the year. So I think, yeah, still, still a relevant article to take a peek at. Question for you, Graham though. Yeah, good. If they're going to take the GMAT, should they wait for the newer format, which I believe is a bit of a shorter um, test, or should they kick on and focus on the current format? 
I think they got to do the current format for a couple of reasons. One is if they're playing next season, you know, I, and they want to play in round one, for instance, this test may not even be available to take until after the round one deadline. So I think they have to take the current. Also, the other thing is that there's so much literature and preparation materials out there for the current test that, you know, you can get ready for it. Whereas the, the new test, there's not a lot <laughs> to go on. And so I would not be inclined to serve as a guinea pig or something. Um, so, so yeah, I would take the current test for this next admissions season. Yeah, uh, but we'll we'll see how. No, to I I think you're 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 completely on the money for for both reasons. Yeah, yeah. So the other thing we did is we caught up with some current students at Stanford uh, as part of our Real Human Students. Uh, series that, you know, I thought had wrapped up, but Stanford came in a little bit after, <laughs> after the deadline, but we got, you know, a few of their students profiled on the site. Very interesting as always, you know, these students that go to these top programs have interesting stories to tell. We also, Alex, because you and I haven't connected and done one of these wiretaps episodes in a couple of weeks, we've had this like real humans alumni bonanza on the site. There have literally been, I think at least seven, uh, real humans alumni pieces that we've published. And so we've got, I'll just gotta, gonna run down the list because it's pretty interesting. We got a guy named James who graduated from Indiana Kelly in 2020, and he's fairly senior now at Accenture. Uh, there's a woman named Amanda who uh, went to Foster, graduated in 22, and she's at McKinsey as working in kind of a healthcare consulting role. Uh, there's Joel who works at JP Morgan, who's a Cornell Johnson grad, uh, recent grad as well. He's a class of 22, and he's a senior associate um, in, in investment banking over there. We've got Cynthia, who's also at McKinsey, graduated from Tuck in 22. Helen over at Google, who went to Stanford and did an MBA slash master's in education. And she graduated back in 2016. She's the product manager for education on Chrome OS. So that's kind of a pretty big role that she's got at Google. We've got a guy named Patrick who works at Disney, who went to Georgetown and graduated in, in 2018, so a little while back as well. And he's a ma the manager for their tech and data engineering um, group. And then we finally have Aditya, who went to Chicago Booth and works at McKinsey as an associate. So a whole bunch of really interesting you know, fairly recent MBA graduates from these top schools that you can read about and they're working at your dream companies, probably, you know, McKinsey, Google, Disney, et cetera. So it's a, it's an interesting group. No, fantastic. And these pieces are always well worth um, the read and the insights that, that you can draw from them, right? So so yeah, encourage folks to go take a look. Great for research and stuff. Yeah, because I think there's like a subset of people out there who will go to our website and look at Livewire or DecisionWire yeah. and stuff, but they don't realize they're all these great <laughs> content pieces. So, um, so yeah, definitely check those out. We also, as Alex mentioned earlier, we had you know some recently we've done a couple of podcasts that were sort of one-offs. One was uh, last week's with Will Keller, who is a military uh, part of the Marine Corps, heading off to business school this fall. And then I also sat down with Liz Hutchinson. Who who's the director of admissions at IE, and she used to work in admissions at HBS. So she had a lot of good um, stories to share and, and kind of advice. So obviously, if you're listening to this show, you've probably seen those in your feed, but I just want to remind you to check those out if you haven't listened yet. Uh, the other thing, Alex, I wanted to say- I'm going to put you on the spot, Graham. Uh-oh. No, I'm not going to let you get know. off that easily. Yeah. In, in your conversation with Will, what one thing did you learn that perhaps uh, maybe you didn't know um, before chatting with Will? Um, I, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that struck me was that 
he did not seem to come from the angle of like, if unless you went to one of the academies, you know, you're not going to get into a top school. Like even though, you know, he took a, I mean, he took a slightly different route into the military, went to Cornell as an undergrad and things. But um, he talked about how, you know, the, the admissions team is pretty good at figuring out what sort of leadership position you're in in the military. And even if you're enlisted, you know, you can move up in the ranks. It may take a little longer or it may require exceptional, you know, ability on the on the part of the candidate. But he said, you know, don't don't assume that you have to be coming from one of the academies to to rise in the ranks and and that, you know, admissions readers understand and and you know that that they can kind of suss out who's doing what in terms of what you know, what kind of responsibilities you have. Yeah. No, very good. I mean, I I was actually really interested in that conversation where where um, Will talked about leadership, um, either um, for, for, from an enlisted standpoint versus leadership um, from, yes. from, from the more traditional sort of entryway into the military for MBA candidates and how, you know, uh, they're really, those folks that in that ladder group seem to be really thrown to the wolves um, yes. quite quickly in terms of managing folks and, 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 you know, on, in, in a sort of a leadership position. So I, right. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually an interesting counterpoint to what I was saying, because while he was saying like, you know, that the admissions team can look at the file and understand what kind of a leadership position you're in, he did point out, as you correctly, you know, mentioned here that, you know, enlisted folks are going to have a longer climb, yeah. you know, whereas the people yeah. coming right in, you know, through the more established pathways or the, you know, the academies, et cetera, they get put in to these, yeah, it's amazing how quickly they're sort of, like you say, thrown into the fire. So, um, yeah, so that was interesting to, to hear about. Um, but yeah, definitely listen to that show if you're, cause he had a lot of advice that I think is very uh, applicable yeah. to any applicant, not just a military candidate. So last thing that I had before we get into our candidates for this week is I wanted to mention that May is going to be a really exciting month for clear admit. Uh, we do, uh, we, this is that time of year where we start to do events for the coming admissions season. And, and so literally every Wednesday in May at noon Eastern, we're going to be doing uh, virtual uh, kind of webinar events, uh, panel events that you can sign up for. They're free and they're pers for prospective candidates. And basically, typically the, the format is I sit down with anywhere from three to five admissions directors at top schools and ask them questions about the admissions process. The May events are very much an, uh, kind of an overview, like a primer for people applying. And then later on, a couple months after that, we have the essay analysis events where we just talk about schools essays. So a lot of fun. And I would encourage people to sign up for the May events. We're going to have um, an announcement, which may, I guess the announcement may already be on the site by the time you hear this episode, but it's forthcoming. We're going to have, you know, all the dates posted, times, et cetera, and the schools that are joining us. But I, I did get a chance to talk to Mike on our team and the list of schools is shaping up to be very impressive. So, um, so it's going to be fun. Yeah. So stay tuned for more there, but. <laughs> Do you have Harvard coming back? I think Harvard's doing the very first event in May, if I remember correctly. And yeah, so Excellent. now it's going to be a good group. Yeah. yeah. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, I can't yet reveal the full list of schools taking part because Mike 
swore me to secrecy, but the, it's a, it's a really good list. Very <laughs> um, good. Very so all that, good. all that's coming. Uh, the other thing is, as I said earlier, you, you know, people can email us. It's been kind of crickets. We haven't had a lot of news or, or reviews. So, um, if you, you know, if you're willing, leave us a review on Spotify or a rating on Spotify and, and Apple and, and, and a review wherever you can, depending on where you're listening. That really helps people to discover the show. Only a good rating. We don't yeah, want oh, a bad yeah, right. rating. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if maybe it's been kind of quiet because people actually have their results now, Alex. And so I don't know, maybe yeah. we need to go into witness protection and not be asking yeah. for reviews. <laughs> no, we'll see. Um, in any event, I've got, you, you've picked out these candidates and I'm ready to talk about them if you are. <laughs> yeah, let's kick on. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So our first candidate this week is an apply, it came from an ApplyWire entry. It's someone who's going to be looking to start in the fall of 24, and they currently have four schools on their target list, and those schools are Harvard and MIT in the Boston-Cambridge area, and then Kellogg and Chicago uh, in Chicago. They have been working in consulting, and they want to stay in consulting. They actually mentioned that they're currently doing that consulting work at a big four accounting firm, and that they're going to be sponsored, or that's the plan, by their firm. And that means that by nature, they're going to return to the firm after business school for at least a couple of years. Um, that's part of the deal usually when you get sponsored. They have a GMAT score of 730. Their undergraduate GPA is 3.75. And they have two and a half years of work experience at this point. They also did mention that uh, they think their recommendations are going to be strong, that they plan to apply in round one. Uh, they're also, uh, they are a white male from the Midwest, they shared. And they mentioned that they think they have some good extracurriculars and that they have a fairly unique family situation, which they'll get into detail on in their application. So I'm not sure what that, what that is exactly, but obviously another feather in their cap, something they can share that will help them to stand out. So Alex, what do you make of this candidacy? I know you left a comment on the post on the website, but what's your initial take here? Yeah, I mean, they asked us, should they retake the GMAT, right? Oh, yeah, 7.30. Yeah, do they retake that? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, based on what they presented. Um, they already have a 7.30, so that's the median of the very top schools and the top schools that they're sort of targeting. Right. Um, so I'm not sure there's real urgency in, in terms of retaking the GMAT if you've already got a 7.30. But having said that, if you know that with a little bit of effort you could get a 7.50, then... Why wouldn't you do that, right? Mm -hmm. So, so it's sort of a question of how how much can you move the needle here, and how much effort would it take, knowing you've already got a score that hits the median. Um, so, you know, nobody would ever argue that a seven thirty is better than a seven sixty. So, if you know you can get a seven sixty, and it requires only marginal effort, you probably should go about doing that right um anyway no they did he he did say in his note he said i know i can do better on this test yeah well that's my point in in saying this yeah most normal human beings <laughs> if you've got a 730 don't right move on it's great <laughs> yeah but this is a chemical engineer graham and we know that they're wicked smart yeah and he's got a three three seven five so um you know they if if, if they know that they can bolster that extra elements, it, it might be worthwhile. That all said, let's assume that their work experience is good. They say they're going to get strong recs. Um, that's very good. Um, I, I'm, I'm a little curious about being a chemical engineer grad and then going straight into big four accounting, hmm. um, why, why they made that move. Um, 
and so forth. Because, yeah, as a chemical engineer, they probably had other um, pathways in, ahead of them to, to choose from. Sure. Um, the, the area that I'm a little bit, um, I'm not saying concerned about, is, you know, that they, they'll have, I think, three years of work experience um, by the time they apply um, or, or matriculate. That's a little bit on the lighter end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering if, um, you know, that might be the limiting factor on this candidate rather than their GMAT score, which is already um, very good. Um, they, they're really going to need to show good impact and growth at work, which is something we always talk about. And whether they're able to show that over that three year period, that's um, up to them to really um, determine. Um, and we also like to see folks that um, are really involved outside of work. So I'm curious what this I have good ECs um, really means and that they're related to their personal background. So typically I like that, that they're really related. They've not just selected an, an extracurricular activity just for the sakes of, um, you know, showing a more well-rounded profile, but they're probably doing something about which they're passionate, sure. they're related to, and that really checks a lot of good positive boxes. Um, so, um, you know, this might be the sort of candidate that, yeah, apply next season, only apply to reach schools, and those are the types of schools they got on their list. If they're on a positive growth trajectory at work, knowing that if, you know, if, if if they stayed an extra year at work, they would be a stronger candidate the following year. Then they only need to really target these very good programs that they are targeting um, at this point. Yeah, I guess, I mean, I had two thoughts on this. So one is, yeah, a little lighter on the work experience, um, fairly traditional work experience. But you do point out, it'd be interesting to understand why chemical engineering into big four yeah. um, kind of consulting and accounting type stuff. Uh, and then their long-term goals are to do something related to investment management. I think they want to start their own company or lead a company in that space. So I guess for me, the two things are white male, Midwest, slightly younger, all their eggs are in these four schools basket, you know, it's like kind of top schools in Boston and Chicago. And so my initial thought was, why are they not applying to a slightly wider range of schools right. or even to additional top schools like a Columbia or a Wharton to give themselves more of a chance to, you know, to convert somewhere. But that's, you know, as you said, maybe they just want to apply to these four. And if things don't work out, they could apply again next year. And then I agree with you on the extracurriculars. It's like they claim they're good. They're related to their personal background. But I sort of like, you know, I'd want to know what it, exactly what we're talking about here to really be able to judge how compelling this candidacy is. So, but overall, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess they were kind of saying, oh, shouldn't I start work on my essays and get it, you know, getting going on my round one essay applications. And that's the gating factor factor around retaking the GMAT. And my thought was, wait a second, you know, it's April. If they really think that it wouldn't be a lot of effort for them to, you know, to perform even better on the test, why not? Like go, uh, go take it again. You could start writing your essays in, in June or July. It's not going to be the end of the world. I mean, yeah. the deadlines are in September, October. So yeah, that was my only thought is that they have plenty of time if they wanted to up that score. Again, they're sponsored and that counts for something in theory. Um, if they weren't sponsored and they, you know, could come in with a really high test score and this otherwise pretty impressive profile that might lead to more scholarship dollars. Um, so that's another thing to consider potentially if they wanted to go the non-sponsored route. Yeah. Yeah. But in any event, 
So lots to think about here. But they're, they're in good shape overall. I think they're in good shape overall, Graham. And they could be a potential superstar. Yeah. Like a future superstar. We just need to know a little bit more about this personal background, a little bit more about what their ECs are. Because oftentimes that is what allows what a overall a, a strong candidate but has strong real good ECs and, 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 and so on and so forth puts them at another level. They could well be at that other level. I think, you know, this whole idea that I I mean, I think they're kind of inferring that they're a bit overrepresented, right? Right. Um, white male working in big four or whatever. But you know, from the Midwest with a with an interesting personal background, I don't think that that makes them overrepresented. So um, so I think they should really focus on why they are unique and who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember one time reading that Stanford has a specific scholarship, for example, targeting people in the Midwest because they can't find anyone <laughs> applying from the Midwest. So yeah. the fact that they're from the Midwest does actually help them stand out a little bit. Yeah, fair point. So in any event, I want to wish them the best of luck as they begin this, this journey um, towards application. And yeah. yeah, just, you know, hopefully some of this advice hits home and helps them to kind of prepare and, and move forward. Let's move on, though, and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So for this one, Alex, you picked a decision wire entry, and it's a candidate who applied to Berkeley, Carnegie Mellon, Cornell, Duke, Michigan, Kellogg, and Darden. And they applied to start this fall. They currently don't know where they're going to go because they've been admitted to Carnegie Mellon uh, with a little bit of a scholarship, which is a $50,000 scholarship. They've also been admitted to Cornell Johnson, where they've been awarded a $60,000 scholarship. And they've gotten into Darden, but with no money, although they are in the process of negotiating or hoping to maybe get some money there. Their GMAT was a whopping 760, and their GPA was a 4.0. So they mentioned they're an international student, not fixated on any career path. They are inclined towards consulting, but they want to keep other options open as well, especially considering the current market situation. And they mentioned, as I said, they're negotiating with Darden to see if they can get any scholarship dollars. Uh, And they're wondering... If Darden were to match the Cordell money, which I'm reminding you is 60000 what should they do? Um, and what should they do if Darden doesn't match it in terms of where they should go? And I just want to point out, 76040, I'm actually kind of surprised that they didn't convert at, you know, Kellogg or, or Berkeley. I mean, yeah. the, the, those are pretty stellar numbers, so that's a little head-scratching. But in any event, yeah, what's, um, what's your take on where they should go? Yeah, maybe. I mean, they're from India, so they're definitely overrepresented right. um, in in the app pool. And maybe if they applied in round two to some of these schools, that was that's a clear sort of no no for folks that are overrepresented. So right. that's a problem, and mm-hmm. maybe the reason why it was tougher than for them at places like Haas right. um, and Kellogg okay. and so forth. But nevertheless, yeah, they're superstar. They got seven sixty GMAT, um, top. GPA um, and so forth, and probably aligned with with um, strong work experience, etc. This the fact that they're undecided is a little bit troubling, yeah. because if if you have a good career plan um, and well developed and and so forth, that can help guide your choice, right? Right. It might turn out that Cornell's a better option for X, Y, and Z, whereas Darden's a better option for X, Z, and 
A and B or something <laughs> like that, right? I mean, right. that's kind of yeah. how, how we think about these things. But given that, let's assume that consulting is is the target industry um, and so forth. I mean, Darden is really good for consulting. We know that. Um, it has the case method um, in terms of training people to prepare for that career. Um, it has a strong reputation as a school for consulting. Um, but Cornell's no, no, you know, Cornell's going to prepare you very well for consulting too. And I think with with a candidate like this, the sixty thousand um, is probably going to make a difference for them. I would consider Darden and Cornell effectively in the same tier. Cornell is typically at the lower end of that tier. Um, Johnson. Um, you would then argue, though, Graham, that, well, yeah, that, that might be true, but Cornell as a university, as Ivy League, and as an international student, that brand can, can be helpful too. So maybe that sort of cancels out a little bit. Yeah, yeah Darden and Cornell, comparable, 60,000 to Cornell, makes them probably the choice here. Yeah, this is an interesting thing. I mean, the, the candidate also mentioned that you know, that they want to stay in the U.S. In fact, that seems to be the main goals. Like, as long as I can get a visa sponsorship, they mentioned, you know, they, they yeah. want to stay. So that got me thinking about, okay, you know, are which of these programs are STEM? I think all three of them have different tracks that can be STEM. Or Well, in the case of Carnegie Mellon, I think the whole program STEM. So that allows someone to stay and work for three years instead of the usual one year. Um, and then, you know, that's a big difference because your chances of getting the post-MBA visa to stay and work, which is usually an H-1B, that that's about like 30% each time. And so if you have a few years during which you can apply for that visa, your odds go up dramatically. Mm. Whereas if you only have the one year to apply, it's a little tougher, right? So I so I think I just want to make sure this person's looked into that. I presume they have and that they're going to go to a program where they can have the three-year um, window there to stay. I Yeah, I could not agree more though that it would be really helpful if they f- could figure out What's their long-term kind of career plan and vision? Where do they want to be? Estates, India, what industry, what function? It just, I know that, you know, it's hard to sort of project, but, you know, if they know they want to do consulting in the short term, they must have some ideas about things that might be interesting in the long run um, that they could do post-consulting. Uh, and and it would just be useful to know. Yeah. Um, again, I do think though, if Darden doesn't give them any money, this is a pretty easy decision, right? Cornell's giving them the most money of any of the schools they got into. And, you know, as you say, in the same tier roughly as Darden. And and so, yeah, so I I think the signs seem to point to Cornell. I mean, all these programs are great and close knit. Um, Carnegie Mellon is, you know, particularly good for STEM stuff. um, But, you know, but, but arguably they're in a tier slightly below um, the, the Cornell's and Darden's of the world. So that, and they didn't give, if, if they had given more money, maybe we'd, have more of a debate, but it's, they're, they're actually not giving as much money as Cornell. So, um, in any event, yeah, it's an interesting quandary. I would encourage this person to, yeah, think long and hard about what they want to do in the long term and where, and to make sure they attend a program that allows them to stay for at least the three years post MBA. Yeah. That's a great point about STEM. Yeah. So um, I want to thank that person for sharing this this quandary. We've had a, a flood of you know participation in Decision Wire, which is normal for this time of year. But those entries are so useful, whether you're decided about where you want to go or not. They're just so useful for everyone in the community, particularly the next crop of applicants. Yeah. So um, let's move on, though, Alex, and talk about Wiretaps candidate number three. 
So you picked another decision wire entry for this one, I guess because we've had such a, a wealth of, of entries coming in. And this candidate, again, wants to start school this fall. They applied to Cambridge, Harvard, INSEAD, MIT Sloan, Oxford, and Wharton. Uh, they had a 730 on the GMAT. They're from Southeast Asia. They want to work in consulting after business school. And as of now, the schools they were admitted to are Cambridge and Oxford. They're actually waitlisted at both INSEAD and MIT Sloan, and they were rejected at Harvard and, and Wharton. So that's kind of the situation. And, you know, they're torn, they say, between choosing Cambridge versus Oxford because their post-MBA goal is either consulting or tech. So they actually have a potential to do tech. And they state that Cambridge has a slight edge for tech but the current slowdown in consulting hiring and hiring freezes at the tech companies makes this person question whether the one-year MBA program is the way to go or whether they should reapply next year. So there are several kind of layers to this dilemma. Like number one, you could just say, if they are going to go, is it, is it you know Cambridge or is it Oxford? But then there's this broader issue of like, well, should they go? And what are the, what are the kind of ramifications of pursuing a one-year MBA um, you know, especially in a kind of unstable economy and stuff. So yeah, this is challenging. So I don't, I'll let you start Alex. <laughs> mm. Yeah. 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 Would, I assume you would, but would you put INSEAD in a tier above Cambridge and Oxford? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah. 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 So, so, I mean, the reason why I ask is, um, they're waitlisted wait at INSEAD and Sloan, and I think absolutely pursue those waitlists. I mean, if they get into Sloan, for example, that completely overcomes this one-year versus two-year issue. They can right. go to Sloan, they can do an internship to get their foot in the door and so on and so forth. So really push hard for Sloan. Um, and in Seattle, again, it's still a one-year um, um, program, so some of those issues are still present with that. But it is at another level. Yeah. And it has those international campuses um, and so on and so forth. Um, so really, I think... On, on, on the one hand, push hard for, for both um, waitlists. And I think this year we'll see a lot more movement off the waitlists. I agree. Um, as I keep hearing more and more about the dearth of um, applications and stuff. Um, now, the other question is, all right, one year versus reapply. Um, let's take that question um, um, quickly. This, to me, is a function of where are they in their career? Yeah. And and what is their career? What is their career? Where, yeah. yeah, what is their career? So if they're coming from consulting, wanting to go back into consulting, that maybe the one-year program's much more viable. If they're tr um, doing a, a career transition to go into consulting, the one-year program might be more challenging given the current economic climate. So this time last year, it looked very, you know, everything looks hunky-dory, but we're, we're in different times, right? Um, but... but um, but the other question is, um, in their current career, where are they and what does the next year look like in terms of growth and opportunity? And if they're still in a spot that they're enjoying, they've got professional growth ahead of them, great opportunities, that makes reapplying next year maybe a much more viable um, option. Um, so, so they can sort of wait out this economic downturn in their current situation, continue to grow, reapply, perhaps with a stronger overall profile with the additional year of experience. Now, if they've got eight or 10 years of experience, then that's less likely to be the case. 
Mm-hmm. So it does depend to some degree on where they are in their current sort of yeah. um, pathway. I mean, this is just a fascinating case because like, yeah, if, like you say, if they're trying to make a career shift, then boy, I don't, I would maybe put tap the brakes here. I mean, I, I also wonder about the fact that they're waitlisted at INSEAD and MIT Sloan, yeah. n- not only does, not only do agree with you that they should pursue those waitlists, but it suggests that they're right on the cusp of getting into these top programs. Um, and I would argue that there is some real estate that sits between the MITs of the world and the Cambridge um, Oxfords of the world when it comes to the MBA. Yeah. I know that Cambridge and Oxford are some of the most prestigious universities on, in, in the world. But on the MBA you know, stage here, you know, I think most people would argue that MIT Sloan is a, you know, entrenched in the top 10 and that you know, Oxford and Cambridge are probably, at least globally, if you were to do some kind of a ranking, they're more top 20 types schools or maybe even a little beyond so yeah they're just younger too right so they're just not as established etc etc right and so i yeah so that I mean, I would love to know where does this person want to work, you know, because that's the other thing. Like, I, I think, you know, they're not going to go work in the U.S. if they go to Cambridge and Oxford. Um, I, I just don't, I don't see that happening or it doesn't seem as likely right. um, to me. They're probably staying in, in the U.K. Um, or maybe returning to their home market or something. So it, it just would be good to know because they have this list of schools that sort of, you know, they applied to Harvard and, and MIT and Wharton, which suggests maybe they wanted to be in the U.S. But then they also have these European schools. So it would be good to know if they if they could kind of n- narrow that focus, that would help them immensely. And I think um, I got to give a shout out to the member of our community who goes by the handle Anon10646, who we often talk about. I mean, they they offered up this great point, which is, you know, you may have a lot of success in round one next cycle. So I, I'm kind of with you, Alex. Right. If they think they have a position at work where they could stay and work another year and apply, um, they may have better luck in the first round next season targeting programs that might make for an easier transition and also, you know, be more likely to be back in the upswing on the hiring front. Yeah. Um, Cause it is, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, I mean, I don't know. It's a, who knows what, what, yeah. What's the economy going to look like in the spring of, you know, like a year from now? Um, will, will everyone be hiring again? Will there be freezes still? Just hard to know. So I, yeah, this is a tough, tough call. And I'm, I'm, that's probably why they, they shared it on the site, but <laughs> it's a tough call. The only, only other question I'll ask you, Graham, because this hasn't really come up in any of our conversations. Should they ask judge and or um, side um, if they could get a deferral? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know to what extent, uh, I mean, every school has their own policy on this, Mm. but they could certainly ask. I think in some cases, schools have a very clear policy, which is like only for sort of family emergency type things or, or some really, um, unusual thing. Like you've been offered a, um, what do they call it? Like a secondment or something to go work for your company in a foreign market for one year. And then you could, you know, like some interesting experience that would allow you to bring, uh, additional, you know, but something else into the community when you do attend the MBA program, right? So, yeah, so they could ask. I don't know what the policy off the top of my head is at Judge and Saeed, but certainly wouldn't hurt. And they'd probably be, be bound to quite a large deposit fee. 
Yeah, there'd probably be a deposit. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I Yeah, I would be pushing on that MIT Sloan waitlist yeah. if I were this candidate. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but in any event, I want to thank them for sharing their dilemma. Hopefully they'll keep us posted as to how this all works out. Um, but Alex, thanks for picking out these um, candidacies as always for us to discuss this week. Um, good to have you back after a week off. And uh, yeah, we'll do it all again next week if you're willing. And yeah, thanks again. Yeah, very good. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.